0: The Effenrad Snowboard Podcast is presented by Vans. Season 7 of FNRAD is sponsored by Wired Snowboards, the Boardroom Snowboard Shop, Anon Optics, Time Bomb Trading, and Tribute Board Shop in Nelson, BC. Timebomb distributes Rumple blankets and accessories here in Canada. Rumple's mission is to introduce the world to better blankets. They apply modern materials, typically found in premium outdoor gear and active wear to modernize their super rad blankets. Rumple's six core values sound a lot like my own. Embrace the adventure, create excitement and fun, make things simple, look to the future responsibly, be approachable and honest, and promote a balanced lifestyle. Rumpel's blankets, ponchos, mats, and towels are functional and awesome. Check out Rumpel.com or rumple.ca and enjoy free shipping on orders over 49 bucks. I can't wait to get my Rumpel blanket and towel, and I'll tell you all about them when they arrive. Support also comes from Mount Seymour, Grouse Mountain, New Green Superfood Drink, Volcom Outerwear, and Intuition Liners. Thanks to everyone who supports the show. Jamie Lynn and his partner, Dini, just had a baby. Congratulations, guys. And to celebrate, I'd like to put out this wonderful conversation I had with Jamie while back. You'll recognize the side hit story I put out last season. This was originally gonna be short episodes peppered throughout the next few seasons, but let's blame COVID for that not happening. Jamie Lynn is the legendiest legend, the kind of pro snowboarder, whose long career is intertwined with his art graphics and libtech snowboards, Vulcan Outerwear, and fans, among others, Jamie's method has its own Instagram, and he's influenced more pro snowboarders than pretty much anyone else. Here's a fun, older conversation with the newest dad in the pro snowboarder game, Jamie Lynn, starting with the first graphic he ever drew.
1: Yeah, kind of a puking fire face. <laughs> up, puking. You know, it, it was something that came about with me. Um, needing extra credits to graduate from high school right so i I found out that i could get an on the job training credit if i went up to LipTech up in seattle up to mervin and did some sort of job but i didn't really know what to do or what was even available but when i got up there pete and um pete Sari and paul farrell who was kind of helping with he was working at the factory, but starting to be more of a team manager, um, said that if you want, you could go and help Nick Russian upstairs in the art attic. And he was up there with a heavy-duty gas mass respirator on, dealing with toxic screen print inks, pouring dollops of different colors on the tip of a top sheet material, and using a squeegee to just smear these mix of colors down the top of the board and that went into a stack and those stacks eventually went into manufacturing where they became the top sheet graphics and every two or three maybe five or six top sheet graphics Nick and I would do something for ourselves (laughs) you know we'd throw I think I did a cat in the hat Uh, um, I did a Native American totem board wow. That came off the design of that. Olsen had a surfboard sitting up in the corner of his kind of creative art shack and it had a native tot- totem drawn on it and I just kind of replicated those shapes and made an M C there's an M C with some Native American artwork on there that's freestyled and that's where Nick was doing you'd throw in like a lot of his um rocky horror picture show stuff that was kind of that era yeah uh, graphic period but in by doing those top sheet graphics i think maybe pete asked me hey if if you got something drawn up we're looking for an acme graphic and so i think i was probably you know 10th 11th grade in high school freshman or a sophomore and uh and just start working on it at school, and um, you know on the weekends or whatever, drawing up just some little sketches or whatever. Had I could you build. ever drawn anything before that? No, not necessarily for any graphic job. That like was for, definitely I, I just a, mean like. A, I mean, w-
0: w- would you do art at high school, school or, or class? Just, yeah, nothing, sc- nothing
1: yeah. auxiliary, nothing after, out of school, right. nothing Like on my own, I didn't have an art setup or anything. It was just right. kind of grab a piece of paper and a sharpie. Yeah, that I stole from art class or whatever, and, <laughs> yeah, and totally. drew it, and then took it up there on a Friday, and 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 then uh, you know I think I just did the line work. I don't even think I did any of the fill or any of the coloring of it. But that black line art they filled in with some color and printed it up for a top sheet, and it really truly became my very first board graphic that I've ever been a part of
0: close my mind because i know that board and i i would have had no idea until you said it and then i'm like oh yeah there's some elements there because you can tell a nick russian too right like when you see his graphics definitely or a a perillo when you see a perillo you're like oh that's a perillo and uh and that's the humble beginnings of jamie lynn art
1: you know that was probably 89 or 90s early 90s
0: yeah yeah, because that brochure was 93, 94. No, 92, 93.
1: Okay, so it was probably yeah. 91 yeah. is when I painted it. And yeah. Then I was like sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated in 92. And then
0: you had... Did you have creative design over your own top sheet right from the get-go for your own pro model?
1: Yeah, you know, they, they definitely gave me the option to come up with my own graphics cool and in the early days of graphics we were kind of you know we were our banker finance guy this guy Randy Copeland um, he also owned a printing company called printing control so all of our graphics were printed through his printing company but it was limited to you know a four color offset print and i didn't have any idea or concept even what that was you know so um he had some night courses going on as far as like courses to learn printing and and offset printing four color process printing at his uh workplace after hours so he got me or gave me the opportunity to go to a couple of these classes and try to learn more to help direct the artwork that i was doing to better fit and apply to a board graphic so after about a week of taking these courses um during this time mike olson was kind of figuring out how to translate like the kind of art that i was doing was really watercolor very vivid colors and a lot of um you know watercolor feel is always a hard thing to translate with any kind of printing Mm -hmm. but while I was taking the courses trying to figure out how to print my board graphic. Olson got a hold of, I think, Paul Schmidt. And Paul had some new boards that came out that had this beautiful full-color picture graphic um, with a process called sublimation. So, you know, as I'm trying to figure out how to print these things, Olsen goes and gets three test skateboard top sheet graphics and sonic welds them together into a a a usable top sheet for a you know a lamination test and gives it to me on this mc and it rode amazing it was like so much damper than the other top sheet material that it just had it rode like a felt like a tank where i could go through anything but was still flexible and torsionally perfect but that in that process of figuring out that graphic we had done a test graphic of an octopus we probably printed them up probably four or five of them just as kind of just a test run to see how it would look and the results were not so good and I was thinking oh how are we going to pull this off and then out of the blue Mike comes up with this sublimation technology and that was ends up being the first whale graphic, board graphic of mine in ninety ninety four.
0: Where did the whale and octopus come from, like mm. idea wise?
1: You know, I, I had a third grade teacher named Miss Egelstein, <laughs> nice. and she was on Vashon Island. And I remember her curriculum being: we learned, uh, we read the Underground Railroad by Harriet Tubman, rad, and she taught us about whales. That it was that what I read. That's what I got out of my third grade year in, in school. But it was, she was an awesome teacher, and, and she would take us out in the hall, and she would sh- walk out 100 feet, and we'd tape it, and we'd go, oh, that's how big a blue whale is. Brad." And, you know, whales weigh. She'd take us out in the parking lot and she'd show us a Volkswagen bug, and she's like the average humpback whale weighs about as much as this Volkswagen bug here. And just, you know all the different kinds of whales and what they ate plankton and just the whole their their environment and we watched a lot of like national geographic style movies about whale song and um, in those visuals I was really like just seeing a whale underwater and the gradation from the light near the surface to the darkness of the depths always kind of gave me this kind of intriguing feeling of just coming from light into the dark and then having the whale kind of get picked up by the light coming in from the surface. I always thought that was a beautiful aesthetic. So that's where the inspiration I think came from that first whale graphic was.
0: Did you have to do 10 or 20 different whales before you settled on the ones that you picked or was that the first first go at it
1: it was the first go at it just because i wow. didn't know any better you know i didn't know <laughs> yeah. you could do thumbnails or sketches i just thought okay this is it this is one panel and i'm just gonna see what and um you know i hadn't really worked too much in the medium that i tried it with but i was working with like a tempera watercolor yep and and uh And some illustration board like a cold press illustration board that you could go back over and and not you know not tear up the paper or the surface that you were working with you could you know you can move different colors over it without it deteriorating
0: oh that's so cool yeah and then the the i remember the the octopus having a similar vibe like the two boards really did go well together There was also was there a center graphic that was that had like a border around the outside of it? Yeah,
1: yeah. There, I mean, I don't know why that first year had like so many. There's like two or three randoms. Yeah. In there, there was like the whale graphic that was like the one. Yep. But then there was like a Japan octopus version. Yep. But then there was this like a face that was exploding into oh, birds yeah. and yeah. swirly stuff like that was one of the first year graphics but that one really doesn't really get much yeah you know and, and then there was another the mini version the small board had a guy cat and a bird drawing that i'd done and it was kind of boxed in this frame positioned kind of off on the the whole board and I forget about those yeah you know yeah. those are those are kind of lost in obscurity sometimes but really you know i worked on those just as much as i remember working on the whale graphic and the octopus graphic but i just i i, I still think back about why and i couldn't tell you <laughs> I, I honestly i don't that's know that's a lot
0: of art for one kid first go at designing snowboards i mean the story of of lib text graphic the the very first one with the with the skeleton cat or was it a skeleton before it was a cat or was it the skeleton cat? it was the remember.
1: skeleton before the cat yeah yeah
0: and that and that's just such a classic story of of mike and pete's you know oh you say we can't use this we're gonna put it on every board We're we're gonna use it for everything. You say it won't sell great because it just
1: fueled fueled their fire (laughs) of just like you know. Tell me I can't do something again. Yeah, please, and then allow me to prove you wrong. So that era,
0: the skeleton era, lasted a year or two, and then it was that acme and that the the painted top thing was going on with the doily print top sheets
1: yeah and then my uh, matt cummins came out with a couple he did the tree graphic yeah and um there was a couple offshoots of that yeah and and then it kind of transitioned into the you know the radical rick era, that was such a great amazing
0: that's that same year right like yeah. so, so he's having the guy who actually drew radical rick for bmx plus draw that graphic for his
1: base is that right you know i I'm not sure if it was, um. Uh, what was that guy's name? It wasn't Bob Harrow. It was um, Damien. Yeah. Damien. Yeah. I'm not sure his last name. I, I, yeah, Damien. I remember
0: his signature yeah. from the magazine. Yeah, that's how
1: I just flashed on <laughs> it, Damien. So this, I think it was a um, in, inspired by a Damien original, but it was Sean Donnell. Yeah. From uh, Bend, Oregon that did it up yeah that came up and did the the radical rick he did the van looking over the surf yeah he did a lot of really incredibly historically important graphics and i think
0: those graphics happened at the same time as the whale right like i I think it was yeah
1: yeah i mean i i transitioned out of like riding a radical rick base into like kind of the same year i might have split one you know got it halfway through. That was like
0: TB two or something, right? Yeah. TB two. I remember y- your standout part in that was just like, okay, we got to spin off the toes now. Like we have to. That's that we have to. It's so fucking styly. This is you no. Know, yeah, that, that was if that great. That was
1: like the f- first super park I mm-hmm. think up in Tahoe, up at uh, Squaw. I mean that that whole session. My God, I can't tell you how amazing it was to be a part of that. You yeah, know, to watch everyone that was there just throwing down amazing stuff and just fun to be a part of it. Where everyone was amping and juicing off one another. Noah and Av and oh wow, and, you know, Roach and it was really cool. That's incredible. Good session. That's
0: incredible. So you did? Did you do every board graphic for your board from that time straight through?
1: Yeah, yeah, essentially. I think maybe the second year I got help with one of the, uh, maybe, um, the script on one of the smaller boards. Yep, yep. By a woman in uh, in Portland named Miss Mickey. I remember her. that
0: script. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was badass.
1: Yeah, and, and there was one that was like a mandala tree. I mm. don't know if you ever remember that one, but she drew that mandala tree, and it was just kind of like this mandala inspired tree of life
0: that was after the buddha cat board. yeah
1: yeah right around those first two
0: three years yeah oh yeah the the buddha cat board did you know that peter says that he was just trying to do your board when he did the rainbow board because remember no. you had the it was like brown with a rainbow same yeah. year as the buddha cat
1: yeah. i think it's like the hibiscus graphic the hibiscus the,
0: graphic yeah. that's it and he was trying to do the kicks those flop kicks from that you, you it, it was an adapt adaptation on not really the the MC
1: kink. It was a, it was it a was flop. A, it it was, was a different. A, thing. Yeah, it was a different little kink, but it was a derivative of what MC had done with that kink, nose, which cool. was groundbreaking in itself. Yeah, you know? like, yeah. He just wanted to jib everything and freestyle wall ride stuff. You know, yep. Do log pole jams on logs like that's really. He, I remember him saying that at the time. Like, I just want to be able to freestyle on everything. That's right. You know, not be, not having your nose or tail jam you up from getting down.
0: And then you had a, you had like a smooth take on it. That I remember that. Yeah. I remember looking at that curve being like, wow, this is it. This is what I need to have, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was such a... Uh, I don't know. The reality of that, you get it in powder and it becomes such a snow plow, <laughs> you know, or it would flip so much snow and do like a rooster tail thing and like <laughs> corn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are throwing this massive rooster tail behind you and just depositing snow in the, your back pockets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so imagine Peter's disappointment when he says like, he's, I think he just tells them what he wants, right? He's like, it's got to flop over like this. And then he gets that low-profile Division Twenty-Three with the, you know, it's got yeah. barely any kick to start out with, and then it's just got a little nick on either side.
1: Just a suggestion, a suggestion <laughs>
0: of a bit of a floppy kick. But it, what an awesome
1: it, board, though! What oh an iconic board. It worked, just, right? It was, I, yeah. We we all saw him do such amazing things with that equipment. Yeah, I'm like wow. Yeah.
0: Were you guys close at that point? You guys ride together?
1: Um, you know, really never like early washington northwest series days we were all kind of in different cliques sure you know i definitely had the guys that i grew up with and rode with from auburn you know we had our crew and you know fghc was what we our moniker it was ford granada hardcore and <laughs> uh, we had a friend dylan that had a 76 ford granada and we just Stickered the crap out of it. Painted FGHC on the hood. Rad. Drove it up to Sealand Park multiple times with skateboards and the ski racks and hash and our metal pipes <laughs> stuck in the foam of the <laughs> ski rack. You know, and probably acid underneath the grip tape. <laughs> That's a pretty good move. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it, it was kind
0: of bringing sand to the beach, though. There would have yeah. been a lot of drugs up here in those. Yeah, in I those mean years we too.
1: we would go straight to Granville Street and get some hash and yeah. go to the beer and wine store down by ceiling and grab a couple flats of beer and just camp out at the park throughout the weekend and
0: what a cool park we were in hog heaven learning that perpetual motion of skateboarding
1: that that park
0: is it's seen some history man i think it was built in 79
1: a, yeah so amazing i watched the movie oh uh, did you history. yeah i, I, it's I just st-
0: i'm so dumb to have it
1: be watching. one continuous pour wow. never intended to be uh pumped back up ever right designer thought it would just like drain into the toilet bowl at the end and just continue doing circles until you lost momentum yep
0: that's what i did for years (laughs) man
1: and and really the kind of like it it takes you can do it on modern equipment but i'll tell you what 169s with some soft pal bones you know wheels was really great equipment for getting down and then back up yeah you know, with hard compound wheels and and smaller trucks, it's really, it's a little bit more challenging just because it's such a rugged surface now. Yeah. You definitely need a, a, a more contact.
0: You need a good, I need to follow someone. Like, I can't get, I can't pick up the line on my own. I need to see somebody do it. There's like a certain line over that first hump that puts you over the... You know, yeah. And who would have been down there when you were you guys were driving up back in the day? Would it you been? You know, I I like met Kerms Dave Boyce. Oh, okay, yeah. Of course. He lived.
1: Him and Rob lived near there. Yeah. And Dave would come down, and he would bring us like stuff out of his mom and dad's pantry. <laughs> oh my god! Drop so us awesome. off soups and like top ramen noodles and amazing. Uh, I mean macaroni and cheese. Like, yeah. We, and this was in eighty seven. You know, it's it amazing. And 80, 86, I think, was the contest that was up there. And we went, as soon as we saw that, we were just like, okay, that's a skate park. Mm-hmm. There was no skate parks anyplace else. That was the only one that I had ever seen or ever known about. Wow. So, you know, I met end up meeting Dave there. And, like, he was always cool and really cool connect, reconnecting with him later on through snowboarding. Yeah, yeah. And then... um and then I I met Sean Kearns there the first time. Sick. You know, and he showed up. It was a wild story. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, my facts are correct, but <laughs> I was we were skating, and Sean and his buddy turned up, and his friend had, like, this one-piece coverall suit that was, he, he used packing tape maybe for a belt. Yeah. And just, you know, a little, like, not your usual attire but nothing to like you know sweat at all it was like awesome great awesome individual coming to have fun doing what we all love to do and for some reason there's another guy there that started flipping this guy's shit for his what do you how his get up was and Sean wasn't standing for it Sean was like hey man what are you doing you know you're vibing my friend out you're calling them names you're like fucking with them fuck off you know get out of here what are you doing so these guys end up fucking beefing fighting and they fought and sean fought this guy for, it seemed like forever like they would fight and get tired and they would stop take a break catch the breath and then go back at it and just keep fucking battling until finally this guy got his ass kicked and and sean you know told him hey get the fuck out of here man you're fucking you know that's there's no place for that here and i always thought oh, wow man that I didn't really know him. I just, hi, my name is Jamie. Hi, my name is Sean. Yeah, that was it. And I, like, I always thought leaving that scene was like, wow, what a fucking friend. <laughs> what a fucking great friend. <laughs> like Sean was a champion. He stood up for his homeboy and fucking fought yeah. for him. Would yeah. die for him. You know, like fought yeah. for his friend that couldn't. You know, his friend wasn't big, wasn't strong, wasn't like. Couldn't stand up for himself, and here comes Sean, and just goes, "You know what? Fuck that! It's bullshit." You know,
0: it's unreal that that guy's taken that strength of character. You know what he does now? He sits with parents who have lost children. He sits with them as like holding space.
1: Like, wow. Yeah, absolutely amazing strength of character, and I have the utmost respect and, and admiration for him as a human. You yeah, know? me too. Just incredibly talented, but you know really taking uh, a true belief in what he feels is right and applying it to humanity and that's very admirable
0: and rare it's yeah. super rare dude a guy like that uh, you you know when you're sitting with him you're watching the wheels turning you're like there's something different about this guy just the the way that he's like the integrity that he where he comes from is like totally. Legit,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm I'm super proud of him, and um, it's been too long since we reconnected physically, and I can't wait to someday soon get a, you know, get that opportunity.
0: Yeah, take a ferry over to the island and just hang for the weekend, and he would love it. Wow, but cool. Y- you told me today, you told me about your first pair of Gore-Tex pants. You knew from experience maybe from that day of seeing Rankwick come in two hours after you guys had called it quits for raining yeah that you wanted to have Tech stuff
1: yeah i mean that's where the early like idea of just like wow you know i was in the lodge i was wet i was cold to you know way longer than we had been in rank what was still out enjoying the day he comes in like an hour after we had gone down to the lodge to drink hot cocoa and sit by the fire he walks in takes off this north face jacket with this matching bibs shakes the rain with one like shake all the rain falls off this freaking jacket and he sets <laughs> it up dry on the post and i'm going wow and i'm looking at his shirt and his shirt's freaking dry i look down at my shirt and it's fucking soaked to the bone man whatever my outerwear kit was it was not yeah. to wear kit you know it was a makeshift <laughs> yeah. sweat suit jacket with maybe a three or four crew neck sweaters underneath <laughs> so but growing up in Washington like you were the, I just felt like it was a world away you know Sunnyville California and Joel and sessions and and then seeing like little snapshots of it like on Cab's board at the boomeramp or like you know, Kidwell and palmer at the breck half pipe at the world champs they all had session stickers on and and i always thought like wow if i could just get my hands on one little session stickers that would be like <laughs> the cat's meow and i'd yeah. be hyped yeah so I'd, we a friend and i hitchhiked out to when i was 14 hitchhiked out to colorado for the i think it was the 87 world championships and uh had 40 bucks to our name, used the only $40 that we brought for a chairlift ticket to drop that ticket to get my friend up to the half pipe. And then when we made it up to the half pipe, we came across Rankwit and Roach. Brad. And um, secured a place to stay for the weekend in their hotel room. They offered it, and it was awesome. But the highlight of that uh, moment was watching Roach drop into the end of the half pipe and doing... A half cab out of the half pipe for the first time I'd ever seen anyone do a half cab. Rad. And I was just like, wow, that it blew my mind. I was like, that's what we need to do from now on. There's <laughs> more of that. And really was like cab everything from then on. Yeah, man. Kinda became that mantra. But that, that's but, so sick. But that weekend we went down and I think we were too young to go out to the bars at night so um, we just stayed in the hotel room of Rankwit and Roach. And I think Roach and Rankwit maybe had just gotten on GNS. Maybe Chris was still with Sims. Rankwit was riding GNS. So there was a shit ton of GNS stickers. And with those GNS stickers, there was a bunch of session stickers laying around the hotel room on like the coffee tables and stuff. So I think we pinkled every session sticker we could get our hands on and filled our back you know our backpacks full of whatever sessions swag we could get out of this hotel room we survived on that and the pizza crust that was in the pizza boxes you know that that's all we had for the weekend and then it was cool we went we i think we went and watched the the half pipe contest watch craig and and palmer battle it out and I remember watching Hawk in there when he was 15 just ripping and uh
0: and you were just a kid from Auburn at yeah, that point? Yeah, I was
1: 14, 15 years old, and his and hitchhiked down there with a family friend that was going to a family reunion in Golden, just right outside of Summit County. Amazing. So they dropped us off in the parking lot on Thursday, then Sunday afternoon at like 3, 4 o'clock, <laughs> they came and picked us up, and I think we took a heavy dose of mushrooms and got in the car with this family that was like a minivan, and we drove from Summit County straight to Salt Lake and right when like we're just in the middle of this mushroom trip we get dropped off on the front door of the mormon tabernacle Tabernacle church (laughs) in salt lake and we go do the tour of this church with this family just higher than biscuits wow it was like the the organs and the the (laughs) choir and stuff is going off man it was so wild i'll never forget it i don't remember the rest of the trip all i remember is just like flying through Wyoming higher than Jesus and then getting to Utah and just getting dumped out on the front porch of the church. I like, all so right, bizarre. here you go. Here's Utah.
0: I I'm stuck on this image of you as a 14-year-old kid at that TDK World Pro. And like you so are, are you a fan at that time? Like are you trying to get autographs from these no, guys no, or no, are you We just,
1: were just snowboarding, man. Yeah. We yeah. didn't we didn't What like, board did you bring? I think I had that GNU one sixty eight. You know, my friend had a a switchblade. Yeah. Unbelievable. It was like our
0: kit. (laughs) A Couple of kids just riding around Breckerbridge. Yeah. During the world championships.
1: And you know, not really having any money or anything. We just got creative with getting on the chairlifts, you know. We all have yeah stories. But I think the first ticket we bought was legit. I think we probably (laughs) clipped or somehow hustled. Anyway, way we can get up on the chair yeah
0: you would just make magic happen people would have like a little uh you know like a little pair of side clippers in their pockets
1: yeah. just cut a little pair of dikes. yep wire clippers yep i mean there's ether spray at mount mount hood breeds all sorts of inventive ways to get a Oh yeah
0: cuz yeah because they were expensive when yeah. they before anything else was expensive and it's like they're cheap now it's like
1: hike very. all the way up to the half pipes at 3:30 or 4 and yep. get maybe an hour before dark totally or figure out a hustle on a chairlift ticket i think it just goes to show you the draw and the focus of wanting to do something so much you're willing to risk going to jail
0: <laughs> I remember <laughs> swag or could have been sessions. Had a lace loop for your belt that had a snap on it, so you could actually snap yeah. your ticket off at the end of the day, give it to your buddy. Yeah,
1: you could share it. Yeah, you could go on separate. <laughs> so, I mean, that's it's and weed pockets, it is what it like is, a weird you know,
0: weed I, pocket in the fly or whatever. That yeah. shit was awesome. Those yeah. were the days. Those were the days. It's like, okay, we're kind of...
1: Old soup kitchen stuff. Soup
0: kitchen, yeah. <laughs> we're the best. Yeah, we are the best. Wow.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah.
0: So um, the Sessions thing, when you get to Sessions, you get to ride... I think you were in that Outer Limits jacket for the that first...
1: Maybe even TB2, the end of TB2, TB3
0: for sure. Yeah,
1: and you know, it goes back to seeing Rankwood in the North Face kit and seeing like the benefits of Gore-Tex fabric and then doing whatever it took for me to get a North Face kit Mm -hmm. myself. And then just utilizing that through multiple seasons successfully and just knowing the performance of it was just superior to anything that was ever offered in snowboarding up to that point in time. And then when um, I started riding for sessions, it, you know, and and Joel kind of uh, giving me the opportunity to help develop his outerwear program, that was like the first order of business is just get Gore-Tex involved. You know, it's like, seven dollars a yard for regular treated fabric it's 14 dollars a yard for Gore-Tex fabric at the time and and it's like twice as much you know and it was hard for a small skate based company from Sunnyvale California to wrap their head around like the need for something like Gore-Tex but I think Joel knew you know he he does it enough and and knows the importance of just man it could make a real difference in how long you can stay out in the mountains enjoying what we love to do? And
0: I feel like he took a hit on margins. I think that he told us, maybe he didn't take a hit on margins, but he, whatever he did, he really was like, look, you don't get Gore Tex, like not you can't just like you can't just buy it. You have to like license uh, it.
1: We had to go and and submit our designs. We we went out to Elkton, Maryland, to the Gore facilities and oh. and went through a full like. Gore Tex schooling about its was it properties and designed the for,
0: for the space program. Is that where it came from?
1: I believe that's where the basis of the the science came from, and the membrane technology was I've, space NASA that's derived.
0: So rad! That's so rad! Yeah. How
1: cool was that trip to Maryland? It was an amazing. You know, like uh, going through all of like it's like a you know a full course of uh, laminate. Membrane technology and and it being described as um, water vapor is like a basketball and um, moisture vapor from you know heat and evaporation is like a ball bearing and the membrane is like a fence chain link. Yeah. So you know the water vapor can't penetrate, but your evaporating moisture can. And it all works with heat convection, with the heat of your body and your recreation and activity creates the heat that then pushes it through the membrane to the colder air outside, and it keeps the moisture and, and helps it breathe, and but it's all windproof, waterproof, and just amazing stuff. Warm and worth, dry, yeah. Worth, worth the extra, worth, you know, worth the 200% increase in and, and the cost, because the benefit it was just... You know, so much more.
0: Well, it's cool because it's it, it. There isn't anything else that works in this rainy, drizzly climate. Like I can remember being back in Ontario if, when it's minus forty. You just need a, you know, like a, a warm sweater and then anything that cuts the wind. Yeah. But as soon as you add moisture, that stuff is miserable. Like dragging around a soaking wet coat. It's yeah. just it. it it'll ruin
1: your day. You know, one of the things we learned from Gore-Tex is that wet conductive heat loss is 20 times greater than dry. So that, you wow. know, kind of goes to show that when you get that into that moisture, it's just quicker to lose that heat retention. 20
0: times. That's incredible. So you did you must have done almost 10 years on sessions before did was there was there a transition to it was to Volcom right from there?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of, uh, you know, there was a mutual relationship for a time when I was riding for kind of both companies where Volcom just made soft goods. Yeah. And Sessions just made outerwear. Right. So then throughout the two, three years into that relationship, um, Volcom 96, 97 to start, to you know, enter into outerwear about the time that joel decided to start sd with oh yeah someone tim brosh right right and start their like, denim program and and more soft goods program yep so it became you know like kind of like i had to make a decision one way or the other yep. um fuck my heart was with joel um internally he always had problems with black production managers there was a lot of employee turnover it was hard he was based in northern california and and all the resources were down in southern california um working with him with the outerwear stuff uh, to get samples made there was always a two-week delay just because you had to send stuff out and when i was working with Volcom they had in-house sample sewers where they could instantly translate your wow. ideas into hard goods or soft goods right you know within a day or two and I don't know I always kind of felt guilty ditching Joel right but I just felt like Joel wasn't really posed to um, open himself up for you know evolutionary strides or growth or just it was kind of he was just comfortable in this little pocket in Orcal and that was you know where he, he had was a lot say. of
0: irons in the fire too right like because he had the punk rock side of the business and he had i, I remember being like whoa wait they have like a skier Jacket. I remember, we ordered it. We didn't even yeah. know it was like a ski.
1: You know, he he was really him and Brad Holmes. You know, and um, Shane McConkey. Yeah, you know, he'd really started one of the first companies to really branch out into skiing and totally. support skiers that were punk rock skaters. Totally. You know, that maybe knew how to snowboard too, but they just really loved skiing, and they're from Tahoe, and they they're fucking are incredible talented humans you know and but having to it be so early in the dynamics of things it kind of
0: i don't think it hurt them as much as it was just like the like the exact thing you're mentioning was that it would show up late i think it showed up late once or twice and that's just it doesn't sell then you know yeah. what i mean because you basically have from when it shows up until boxing day yeah. and then the whole industry at that time just switched into this like panic mode a lot of the time to just like dump everything so you'd lost all your margins and and half your order would be hadn't showed up and, the, and then joel would be calling going you want us to ship you the rest of your order and so you're like no it's a little mm-hmm. too late now dude and but we, but we never had vulcan for the first 10 years at the shop we just it was uh, the boardroom had competitors like on either side of the street and west beach had vulcan wa- wired and uh but now like the line now holy geez and they've done the same thing with gore-tex that was i think a lot of people should know that that sessions was really the very first company yeah, to put out sure. gore-tex pieces that weren't ski company influence at all it was their own cut and sew designs and that they 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 literally broke the barrier to like the most
1: yeah joel's decision to put faith in you know in us and and what we were you know recommending for a direction you mm-hmm. know really changed the whole dynamic of snowboard outerwear yeah. for us as we know it you know now it's just kind of a you know a given that you know if you're going to make the highest technical piece it's done through a core membrane
0: still still now yeah that's
1: crazy yeah i mean there's there's been fabrics that have came close and, and touted the same kind of um abilities but really i i've yet to in real life put it through the paces and have it perform the same way as core yeah
0: yeah i think there's a reason but, I mean, then it could just be brand, good branding, too, you know, sometimes I mean, a really good I think branding. I think
1: it's easy to hate on just because they have such a monopoly on <laughs> everything, simple. you know, and yeah. other companies that can't afford it or can't yeah, meet their minimum requirements or their design requirements easily just go, you know what, fuck, who are these pompous, self-righteous assholes that think that they know everything about it you know, let... And it's it's probably a good thing to inspire them to try to develop new technology stuff that's better anything, or yeah just, adjacent that's just good. progress yeah. you know and, and maybe it takes someone like that to be that entity for evolution and growth to happen
0: right yeah because you got to have something to strive for it's so strange that that's the way that consumerism happens hey eh? is that you you get this top spot like a burton does and then you've like yeah what's your incentive to not be you know what i mean you don't want to not have that spot so now you use your privilege to get the best materials or the best riders or the best this or that or the most you know dealers or whatever the hell it is but then the people who really care about you know the progress of the sport tend to gravitate away from those bigger companies
1: except for vans (laughs) yeah I mean because a lot of the bigger companies like pick this route that just goes like way nuts and selfish and just taking care of like their tight knit group Mm. of executives that now get to reap the benefits of all these years of hard work from all the people on the in the field and on the ground and in the warehouses and stuff and it's just it's a shitty cycle that you see from a startup company to a company that's been in business sense successful yeah you know but there's a lot of casualties along the way yeah and at the end, if they're not putting back into a sustainability that gives back to the community, gives back to their employees, might take care of their bills and put food on their table for them, but they don't have to rush out and buy their 10th house, right. you know, vacation right. home somewhere, you know, they can still uh, just live a somewhat modest lifestyle of success, yeah. but it doesn't have to be in the millions and billions of dollars when there are a lot of casualties being left along the way with little or next to nothing for all that hard work that they put into it as well
0: you're making me think mike and pete like mike and pete there's like a difference in the way that they ran their company always fucking love those guys for that yeah they're
1: They're the best you know even in the even in those lean times of just survival it was all just for trying to continue to do something that they love to do and something that they're good at doing. Yeah. You know, and and if they're the kind of people that probably couldn't, I mean, I know Pete's an amazing, smart, educated human, and so is Mike, but they might not be the dollar and cents type of people to balance a checkbook and make moves to maximize their assets you know like (laughs) fuck that just doesn't seem like it's part of their vocabulary which is awesome and that's what makes them such beautiful honest open true human beings you know that they're not bean counters and they're not financially minded deviants that seems to go hand in hand with dollars and cents
0: (laughs) can we talk about the first vans boot what were you riding up until that time. Wow.
1: I was riding Airwalk boots. Okay. Everybody was. Yeah. I mean, everybody mean, I, 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 I had for a hot minute, um I got sponsored by Airwalk. Right. Um, Lisa down. Hudson style? Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, that was, I mean, Lisa Hudson is such a beautiful human. Yes. So many, I mean, huge thanks and gratitude for her and what she's done to help everybody. Yeah. But my relationship with her in those early days was really awesome and she's the one that then introduced me to vans what and, really yeah and uh it was through cheryl lynn i don't know if you remember cheryl but she was kind of like she worked for vans at the time um introduced me to cheryl cheryl took me to vans one day and we sat down with you know um it was the owners at the time it wasn't steve Van Dorn, but it was the schoenfelds yeah and the schoenfelds had like a huge department store that i would familiar with the name up in the northwest in washington so i went and had to sit down with them and they were just like hey we want to bring you on board we want to bring you palmer cersei wallace together for um a new project where you each get your own boot, you each got this is Sean's design, this is what Cersei's leaning towards. So if you could like give us some designs in the next month or so, we'll you know, we'll try to execute whatever you're thinking. Kinda of gave me a blank canvas, you know, and just said, Hey, whatever you want, let's try to do it Rad. And Jared Bevins was huge in those early days of that production side. Um and i I'm not really sure where I think it was just looking at a boot outline and trying to make a boot outline like uh just a blank outline of a boot fill in the gaps and make the lines seem like they work and and a lot of my a lot of my basis of where my design influence was was just kind to get something that would be anatomically functional for a foot yeah foot but then have some styling to it and be made out of a material you know I grew grew up in the northwest where there's a lot of logging a lot of farming and Danner boots were a huge part of the you know my history of my grandpa and my dad or whatever and these leather boots just got better with age you know whole grain leather simple lace-up but just the more you wore them, the more they wrapped around your foot and the more that became your foot. And each time they got wet, it just got better and better. So trying to get them, convince them to use a whole grain leather was a huge, like man, it's like pulling teeth. Everyone wanted synthetic cost effective. You can make fake leather that looks like leather, but it's just crappy synthetic plastic, you know, and I fought them trying to get just whole grain leather. But then once the end result came out, and I wore it, and it just got better and better. As you know, each time that I wore this boot, it just started fitting and functioning better. We were working with Intuition with their liners, and that liner yeah. technology was like massively awesome totally. with the combination of that outer with the leather lasts and stuff.
0: That was the first boot I wore for two seasons. Like, you couldn't physically wear a boot for two seasons, it would just fall apart. That was the thing. Yeah. And this boot was like, like you say it was broken in in such a way that it was like better year two it was soft as fuck but it was perfect it was just like such a perfect fitting boot i love that boot even the toe design i can think about how the toe design was aggressively like copped It, it just but but the but the grips in the snow made sense too I think they went two different ways or something there was like
1: yeah it's got a, a great sole pattern on there yeah really tried to minimize the material on your toe cap you yeah. know and really ramp the toe cap so you got the least amount of toe drag as you could humanly totally. possibly get with the boot you know yeah it fit more like a hiking boot or a shoe more than a snowboard boot totally. and that's what it, it just had that kind of styling aesthetic to it as well along with the function but you know each year we did it we did it for three or four years after that first initial boot and it seemed like each year just we had to make consolation consolation Mm -hmm. Mm costs production hang-ups logistics and then just kind of phased out into whatever it became um but i always reflect back to that first project and that first um opportunity to work with a boot company, any book, boot company for that matter, but to develop something with that kind of free reign opportunity, it's once in a lifetime,
0: you know. Your signature was on there. I remember that being stitched on there, embroidered. Was there a graphic on it too?
1: I'd, I can't recall anything other than just a signature yeah, yeah. tag style.
0: It was such a simple design but it was an expensive boot. like because it, They should have told us about the full-grain leather. Yeah.
1: I mean, mean, it sold out. And that's, Anyways, that's, yeah. that's, that's what brought the cost up. And then that's what yep. eventually killed the project is trying to, you know, they're looking for big margins, and I'm looking for big performance, and, and they just don't go hand-in-hand hand a yeah. lot of times with the production of, of a product. And
0: it looks like your boot that you designed, you did a limited edition of last year, is just
1: sick dude i i'm i can not say enough about the team that helped put that project together from bands it really i think it struck a chord with that original boot project you know and really right. using the whole grain leather uh doing it in really a simple clean aesthetic to where there's not a whole lot going to it but the thing performed amazing and you know we're trying to get away from the original platform of a surreal based boot you know it's something that's yeah. been a goal of mine for years but I just haven't had the vehicle or the voice to be able to apply it um, the stuff that we're working on for the next two to three four years with Vance is hopefully take that direction and get away from like laces on your instep and and put them asymmetrically placed with maybe zipper poles or you know boa combinations just sure. doing something that's different you know and using the influence of, like, motorcycle touring boots. You know, Alpenstar makes a wicked leather touring boot that's got an asymmetrical zip up the inside and doesn't look like, I mean, you look at it and it, the aesthetic looks like a, you know, freaking motorcycle touring boot, and that's not necessarily the most awesome aesthetic to translate <laughs> into a snowboard. Right. But if you use that same technology and put something that's a little bit more... um applicable to where we come from you know maybe a skate shoe aesthetic with that kind of technology but just have it be a nice boot to be up in the mountains and in snowboarding because that's i mean comfort and orthopedics and you know materials and design and technology it's man i think your your boots are your most important interface to your snowboard experience 100 percent and you, you get a good boot, and you get a good binding interface, and you, I mean, everything else is gravy. It's true.
0: You could ride an ironing board. You yeah. literally did with the first board. Because uh, you were a kid, yeah. right? You were And were you working at the shop where Rank what was the yeah, sponsored yeah. skater? Yeah, I, I
1: had gotten, you know, I, I went to this shop, local shop, in the town that I grew up in, right outside. It's, it was in Federal Way. I was in Auburn. It was a shop that was called P.J.'s Ski and Sports, but <laughs> nice. it was owned by these two stoner dudes, Steve <laughs> and I can't think his name is Rick and Steve, and they who would was be,
0: P, Who was He was P.J.
1: I, I don't even know. It was fictional there was no Yeah, there was no relevance to the owner's <laughs> name. I don't, I have no idea who P.J. even was. That's and I don't even think he skied, you know. But they <laughs> right, had. I don't. Right. I don't even know if they had skis in there. At, maybe maybe at one time but by the time i got there it was just skateboards right, and then a minimal snowboard selection yeah and it was in the 80s where rails and fancy grip tape and lappers and mini ribs and stuff was the rage so when a kid came in about a complete setup with all the fixings I would be the kid in the back of the shop with a drill and T nuts, rat nuts, trying to figure out how to put on these, all these attachments, (laughs) but, and then they'd pay me like 12 bucks a day or something for hanging out and just being the shop kid. Most of the time they were in the back, you know, taking bong hits while I was tending the till at 14, (laughs) you know, not knowing shit. Yeah. But while I would work there and I'd be behind the counter, I'd look down in the glass case and in the corner of this glass case was a picture of Rankin doing a lean air and some half pipe out in Colorado, some contest. He was on a GNU team disco with a Michael Jackson GNU hat on. I think they had gotten Michael Jackson white and black hats and then wow. soapscreen screen GNU on the underneath underside of the bill for their, their contest kit. Rad. That was like their uniforms at the time was a Michael Jackson hat with a soapscreen screen on it. It was perfect. <laughs> but i you know it's working there i'd always look in the glass and i'd daydream about snowboarding and not really know what it was about and i hadn't had the opportunity to get up and try it for myself but um they had snowboards in the corner of the shop uh instead of getting paid the 12 bucks i said hey can you guys let me borrow one of them snowboards for a week or weekend and got a ride up with some friends of my brothers that were going skiing and got dropped off by their dad like way too early, like 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30. <laughs> and I had two hours before the chairlifts opened to figure it out. So I just hiked up the side of this chair and worked out the kinks of doing it. So when the when the chairlift opened, I was kind of ready to go. I was kind of, I could stay up and not crash too hard and then I got up to the top of the hill and went down on my first run, on my very first run top to bottom at Hayek up on Snoqualmie Pass. It was called Pac West at the time. Here comes Ranquit, skids down. I'm struggling somewhere in the middle of this cat track and he slides up and he's like, hey, Jamie, he knew me from skateboarding. Said hi, and then he turned around and he went directly at this backside hip and just blasted the biggest method and i was like holy shit one of these days i'm gonna keep doing this until i can do that you know that was it that was like that was everything that my goal in life was to achieve and he just did it right there and i'm not going to stop until i figure that one out but you know going from that 140 back hill snowboard that first day i finally got enough money to buy my first snowboard and the first board i chose to get was a gnu 168 kinetic it was the green and black board and it just had the funkiest elfkin bindings on there we can cut half it away and retrofitted with pop rivets the straps back on there it was such a junk show and this board was probably twice as big as i was tall you know it was huge the 168 and yeah, from you probably one,
0: don't ride a sixty-eight now.
1: No, I don't go over one 161s One sixty-one's like maybe one fifty-nine up in Alaska. If and I'm the,
0: lucky. Uh, oh my God! And the effective edge on that board—we were talking about it—like because the yeah. kicks were so right at the end, that 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 board was massively too big for you. Massively too big, and somehow
1: <laughs> I continued riding that thing all through my early jun- junior series days in the Northwest Series contest like I went from the green and black one to the purple and pink kinetic and didn't like until I think I got my first Matt Cummins Libtech. you know I, I was riding for GNU up to that point and then you know I had to make the choice of going with these new guys that were young and just doing it out of their garage and not really knowing if their future was solid or not and my other choice was to ride for either Burton or Nitro. Wow! And I think Cummins was really influential in just saying, "Hey, you know what? These guys are doing it right, and that's who I'm going to go with." Rad. So if you're riding for the shop Northwest Snowboards, right, you'll get one free board a year, and you'll be riding for Lip Tech. Sick. So that's Sick. when it, that's where it all started. Oh my God, that's so in incredible! Snowboards.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, it's. it's Hard to imagine you on Burton. Like, I don't know what that path would have looked like. I don't know. It's
1: hard to say. I I, I I tell you, I couldn't I couldn't wish it any other way than yeah. where it's been. You know, yeah. like, what, yeah. a, what an incredible lucky opportunity to be aligned with the people that I've had the opportunity to become yeah. friends and family with over the last 25, 30 years. And
0: look at Matt still on there. Matt's still got a pro yeah. model. He's got the longest running pro model
1: yeah, I mean, Ever. he he's like, uh, Matt's huge yeah. in my life. He's an awesome, awesome cat. And either through One Ball or, or through Northwest Snowboards or just being there for us as a team rider and friend on the same company for all these years has been him and his brother, amazing humans.
0: Yeah, really amazing humans. That's that's incredible. That's an incredible story. All right, man, let's get the hell out of here.
1: <laughs> been here for an hour. Hey, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to are you kidding me you you
0: have boosted the worth net worth of my show coming on here a bunch of times and uh and i really love you as a human being you're you're a really great storyteller and i hope that you'll feel comfortable coming back anytime anytime you got anything you want to say to anybody you just pick up the phone you know that you can
1: be on the show anytime. Well, thank you so much. You know, it—you really make it easy to lose track of time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. And its a rare quality, so I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, if you ever want to do anything on your own, too, we talked about it off mic about you doing a series of you talking with those heavies that we talked about tonight. You know, like an MC or dog or or Doug from Vans or like these people that have been yeah. monumental in your run, dude. Those those conversations would just be the most amazing thing to hear also though now even saying it out loud i'm like those are private conversations
1: (laughs) you know that's what i was just reflecting on i was like man you know i would i would love to have that outlet and that vehicle to be able to publicly voice those huge thanks and gratitude to those people that have been so influential and helpful in my life but i was just thinking maybe i should first just give them a call (laughs) and say hey you know what man (laughs) you guys are fucking awesome and amazing people and if it wouldn't be too out of place to to publicly voice that. I would love other people to know that too, but right. maybe we just did it. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> that, right? I never want to have an agenda. Exactly. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. ever want to come at anything with like a preconceived, like this is this is what I am steering it towards because I'm trying to sell whatever I've right. got to offer. So I got, that's why I think it's so comfortable and easy when we get together and we talk about different stuff Is like and we make it feel so natural and so real I don't have an agenda, you right. know, I don't really, other than just sharing good times and and just for the sake of storytelling, you know. Like. You've got this
0: wonderful archive of stories that have people that are so relevant to the early days of snowboarding that listeners are, they just go like, oh my God, I want to hear from that guy, you know.
1: Yeah, just how incredibly lucky we've been to be placed in times where just incredibly rich experiences that mm -hmm. have left indelible memories and impressions that it's hard. It's hard for me to think back in those times and not see it with that incredible detail because that's that's how that's how, you know, indelible it was at Uh, the time.
0: You know what I think uh, you've got a gift. We all have those friends that tell you a story that you were in but they're telling it to you like as though you
1: weren't yeah. there <laughs> yeah and I, and I think it's great that you can get four or five people telling the story about the same time and have it be just through four or five different perspectives and Hell different yeah. eyes you know and how it's digested and then how it's processed and and put back out there you know that's i think that's a, a wonderful quality of just being able to you know share from a variety of different resources you know or just yeah. get stories from a variety of different people that might be around there in the same time it's something that i think it's wonderful that you're able to be that person and be in those situations where you can you know you can get all of us that have came from this certain generation certain time telling the same <laughs> situation but through different eyes and <laughs> stories but yeah. uh, you know have it all be relative but Wow, just how unique uh, perspectives are. Yeah, it's what's awesome.
0: Do you know Dr. Devin? Devin from New Greens. He he was from the Grass Valley. I was riding with him, Cory, octune Kevin Jones, having the best day of my life and Corey just knows every he's like Jamie did this off this in, in TB2. This is a TB3. This is Jamie's step over step down. he was just wow. bringing us around the mountain showing us all these iconic spots mm-hmm. and oh my god what a fun thing to do you
1: just, know what what an amazing venue just squaw valley oh, in general yeah. and oh, how shit. the history of of so many people laying down stuff there yeah to be a part of a time where we got to do that <sighs> like wow oh yeah how that amazing. diving board how under amazing. the
0: under the kt22 mm-hmm I can't even see how you would have done it. I can't even imagine having the, you know, at that time in snowboarding, the balls to, did you cab five it or something?
1: Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, yeah. But all I remember, <laughs> though, is the early up privilege that we got to go shoot that that morning yeah and how pissed off everybody was at the chairlift <laughs> when we got back down they didn't care if we just did some amazing line everyone does amazing yeah. shit up there yeah. you know They're just totally, like fuck you you know totally. you fucking god damn it you just got kt yeah on a fresh two-foot powder dump blue sky morning and it was just that was the that was the you know what did we they run the for.
0: chair for you, or did you guys go we up on We got
1: early up on the tram with the ski patrol. Wow! Like, you know, seven fifteen, seven thirties. Hatchets was on, had that stuff on lock, man. And oh. that you like, no one can go up there and just pull that kind of shit off. <laughs> no. And those guys <laughs> had it really like it was in their back pocket. Yeah, and and being a part of those crews that got to access that, like, well, chance in a lifetime. Chance in a lifetime. And then to go up there with the crew that we were up there with, you know, like, Parada, and Farmer and <laughs> Dave and Mike and Tom Day and, and wow. Noah and Av and, and just Roach. Man, there's so many like Steve Graham, Zabo at times, you know, just. And Jerry and Artie, too, Fall Line Films was a huge part of that kind of Tahoe introduction yep. with Sione, kind of leading, you know, in RPM and Roadkill. Right. You know, spent a lot of time uh, getting stuck, snowed in at Donner Lake at Jerry's house one time, <laughs> and, and they were editing Roadkill. So it was that first, like, no effects introduction song. Yeah. Stick in the Stick Eye. in the Eye, yeah. Over and over and over and over and over again, I like to where now I like I can't not see that intro montage when I hear that song. Same, that's like, same. It's just it's indelible in my head. When I drive up the
0: Mount Baker Road, it's that's coming. That's yeah. in my head. Those images flashing
1: in my head. Yep, them driving that limousine <laughs> yeah. it's like a 78 caddy limo it <laughs> was so sick and no business going up mount baker highway <laughs> and how it even made it up there that it just, it's just is amazing but that's, wow. that's yeah. such a great time
0: awesome thanks for sharing your life with me buddy hey my pleasure brother anytime all right F and rad shout outs this week to jamie and deanie and their new baby congratulations you guys And special thanks to every last one of you listening right to the end. Love you all. And be sure to watch your feed for another episode of the FNRAD Snowboard Podcast presented by Vans and brought to you by SIA Productions.